Well, welcome to Young Urban Zen. Um, I'm Michael McCord, and I am a resident priest here and the CFO of San Francisco Zen Center. And um, yeah, I love Young Urban Zen. I think the energy in this group is amazing, and the questions that you all ask um, always makes me remember why I came to practice. And um, tonight, what I wanted to talk about was something that I think most people can identify with if they have spent um, very long on this planet, and that is rumination. Is anyone here, um, when I say rumination, is anyone say, I've never done that? Does anyone have that feeling? I've always wanted to meet that person and just sit down and talk to them for an hour and ask them how their life has been and how they were raised. Were you raised by iguanas? Like, what's the secret? There's got to be something unique here. Um, because there's two times that rumination gets me. And when I say rumination, I'm talking about, you know, the things that plague you either over and over again or something just happened and it's already plaguing me and it's knocking me off my horse. And I can't either do my work correctly or focused work or focus schoolwork, or I can't do my sleeping because I've got this thing that is just like looping. And sometimes, if it's something that's happened many times before in like a similar sort of area, um, within like a few seconds, you're like, oh, I'm going to ruminate about this. And then like the tightening starts happening. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to be able to let go of this. I'm not letting go of this. Uh-oh, here we go again. Yep, I'm not letting go. Yep, been here before. How come I'm always doing this? And then it just goes on and on and on. Um, one thing I want to say to everyone in the room, just to let you know, I've been doing this practice for 15 years in Soto Zen, living in a temple for 13, and um, I still ruminate. I still get bothered by stuff. And things are a lot better than they used to be. And in not a linear sense that you might think. And so what I want to do this evening is just share with you what I have learned about rumination. I'm an overthinker. And I overthink about why I overthink. And then why it is that I even thought to analyze that in the first place. And that I must be that way because the people, you know. So... This is something that most people are aware of in some point in their life, in some way in their life, is that their thoughts plague them and that the things that happened were bad enough. The thing the person said, the thing that happened, the, 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 the event was bad enough. But then what you get plagued by is your own mind. And that is what everyone wants a solution for. How can I, you know, kind of go in and press erase or stop or surgically cut that out, something that makes that experience stop existing. And in Zen, um, it's approached in a little bit different way. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, is what is the approach in Zen in regard to the things that come up and bother us? Um, and, and things can bother us in many different ways. Like, for instance... Um, there's things that I imagine that are going on that aren't going on that bother me. <laughs> there's
There's things that are going on that I know are going on that bother me. So there's the imagined. And whether it's imagined or it's not imagined, and we've all had the friend. I mean, you've ever had a friend that like, thinks something is like going on and they're like bothered by it and you're just like, that, that, that's not a thing. You don't need to be bothered by that. And your friend is like, I am so bothered by that. And you're just like, whatever. But that is what role we play oftentimes where we're bothered by something that is just about our karma and our wiring and our background and we're bothered by it and it's imagined. Or maybe it's 90% imagined. You know, it's based on some real thing, but then it's got a funhouse mirror around it where it, it's all distorted, you know. And then there's the things that aren't imagined, the things that pretty much are straightforward that are going on. But whether it's imagined or not imagined, the body experience and the psychic experience of me being alive is the same. Um, so whether it's imagined or not doesn't matter. Now, whether it's solvable in the short term or not does matter um, in regard to rumination and what I ruminate over. Because if it's something that I might be able to solve, then it feels a little bit different than if a family member is sick and there's nothing I can do about it. Or if there's a bigger existential problem to the planet that I can't solve today or this week or this year. That is something that takes on a different life. But here's the other thing that's so sinister about rumination, is sometimes if we think things might be solvable, it bothers us more. <laughs> you know, like between now and the time that I go to bed, I am not going to solve the problems with our environment. I really wish that I could. But the amount that it's going to bother me is probably a little bit less than if somebody comes up to me after this talk from the temple and says that thing that I said last week um, they thought was awful and it ruined their life and how come I'm even speaking at Yuz and then they storm off and go to bed. And then I'm like, ah. you know, and now I've got to go home and go to bed. I'm like, but, but that's not fair. Now, that's something that's probably solvable in the short term, solvable this week, maybe solvable this year, but I'm not going to solve global warming before I go to bed. And so they take on different feelings in regard to how much I think that it's actually solvable. But again, this is all coming back to my context, because it doesn't have to do with actually the bigness of the thing that isn't solvable. It has to do with how personal and how immediate it is. And if I think that maybe I should solve it, then I start bearing some responsibility. Like, if I would do this, then it will be solved. And then I see that person in the next few days, and I try to solve it with them, and it makes it worse. And I'm just like, oh my, what am I doing? This should be solvable. And then I'm going to ruminate about it more when I sit zazen, when I'm trying to go to sleep. But I'm still not ruminating as much about global warming. And it's because of the way that I have digested the, how personal it is and how immediate it is and how solvable I think that it probably should be. And you also contrast that with things that are very personal that aren't solvable. But, you know, I had three of my family members in my life have cancer. And those were very difficult situations. And... You know, there's things that I can't solve. But the personal responsibility is somehow or another removed because there's nothing I can do about that. But I can actually, you know, be there for them and, and, and be a support. And, and it does bother me, but it feels a little bit different. So, 
your rumination, the reason I just packed, unpacked it a little bit like that, is that sometimes it's really interesting to unpack what it is that's bothering us and to actually see the animal for what it is. And then we put it over here and we don't disrespect it. Because the things that aren't solvable right now that bother us leave us in a state of uncertainty. Like, when will this be solved? When will this be over? When will we get the answer to this thing? I don't know. And one of the principal things about the Zen practice that I just love is that it embraces uncertainty. It tries to recognize that so much of the, our experience as human beings is gray. So, much, so many things are not solved in a one-day period of time. And how am I going to function and be a joyful person or a person that's embracing my life or a person that's, you know, I'm going forward in some sort of a healthy, aligned way while there's all these things that aren't solved yet? There's all these things that aren't perfect yet. There's all these things that maybe need attention, but they're not going to be solved today or tomorrow or this week. How do I move forward in the face of uncertainty? When will this end? So you notice that whenever we were sitting meditation earlier and I said, you have no responsibilities, even if your nose itches. And that's one of the things that we do in meditation is we learn to be with as just a practice. It's a, you know, a human-made construct, but this construct of not moving. Okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to not move. And then as soon as you do that, of course, there's like an inclination to like move your shoulder or scratch your face or whatever. You know, there's just all that. You become aware of what it is that you're not doing. And it really um, changes the way everything feels. But what is it to be curious about my ear itching? And to just be like, hmm. And to not wish it away. And to just be there with it. And to learn to be there with the things that are uncertain. With a curious mind. With a curious mind. Because there's so many things in life that we live into in regard to answers. There's things that bothered you when you were a child. That if they happened today, you would not be bothered by them. Because your context has shifted and you have learned a different context. And those same elements might be a little bit annoying, but they aren't going to ruin your day the same way they would have when you were seven. It just feels a little bit different. If you've ever thought back about like social situations when you were six and stuff that might have bothered you, and now you look at that and you're just like, really? Come on, those kids were so immature. They were six. What did they know? But at the time, our capacity was that that was the world. And at some point, we grow into being adults, and then we all kind of feel like, well, this should bother me. Well, it does bother you, and that's okay. But it necessarily shouldn't bother you. It does, so that's okay. But it's not a concrete fixed thing like, yeah, 
This has to bother me. You can sit with your nose itching and learn to be curious about it, or your eye twitching a little bit, or something that's just a little bit uncomfortable. And you can learn to be with it, and to be spacious around it, and to even not wish it away. Like, when my nose quits itching, I'll get back to the calm Zen stuff. And you realize that this is the Zen stuff. This is the learning to be with what's going on. That's why we created this construct of trying not to move. Because if you've ever been like uncomfortable on an airplane or a long bus ride, you know that at, one, at some point there's just infinite ways you can move your body around, but you're never going to solve it. You know, It's like, this is just going to be uncomfortable. And life is a lot of that way. You can, you know, learn to infinitely try to find how to, you know, make everything just a little bit more comfortable. Or you can just realize, hmm, maybe, maybe it's just the context that I'm holding it in. Curiosity is one of the key things to help with rumination in regard to setting a context. Because things come up for a reason. They come up for a reason. And oftentimes, the reason that they come up is not known today. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the uh, um, poet um, Rainier Maria Rilke, um, but I love Rilke's poetry. And um, one of his favorite, um, probably most popular books is called Letters to a Young Poet. And it's a lot about learning to grow into the world and being an adult in the world and dealing with self-doubt and uncertainty and problems and things that aren't solvable and um, how it can really feed the writing um, energy and to not go to war with it, but to actually love it and to, uh, to, to be with those things that haven't necessarily been solved And this is from his book, Letters to a Young Poet. And it's one of my favorite quotes pretty much ever. Have patience with everything that remains unsolved. Try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms, like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot be given to you because you could not live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now, and perhaps then someday far in the future you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. A way of being with the thing that's bothering me, that, that, that person said that thing in the meeting, and it bothered me, that email that I got, and it's bothering me. And learning that if something bothers me, it doesn't mean that something is broken. Is anybody here in this room perfectly aligned with the universe in every way? Deep down inside, because we all have consciousness and we all have a life, we would say that that is perfectly aligned with the universe in every way. But... That's not the, the ex existence that I experience. I experience me not being aligned with the universe in a whole lot of ways, a whole lot of times, every single day. And as we learn that 
the bother that we have is not the sign that something is broken, we can start to relax and be curious around it when it starts to happen, when it starts to unfold. Of course, I am bothered. I am an imperfect human being. If I was perfectly aligned with the universe, I would not be bothered by anything. But I've got all these other things going on in regard to my consciousness and my fears and how I was brought up and imperfect vision and habits and different things I inherited with neurobiology. And there's like all sorts of stuff going on that plague me. And so, of course, I'm bothered. And you know what? I don't say this in some sort of way to discourage you. I say it as a way to encourage you. But to give yourself a break, because a year from now on the, what is today? Today is October the 3rd. On October the 3rd, 2025, something will bother you. Something. Something will be imperfect. Maybe a big thing, maybe a small thing. But unless between now and the next year, you are going to actually just nail it and become this person who is not bothered by anything and you're like turned into a pure beam of light, you are going to be bothered by something on October 3rd, 2025. And we have a lot of days between now and then, a lot of moments. And if you set yourself up in the context that when you feel bothered, that something is broken then you're going to make yourself get tight around that thing and you're going to start off a chain of rumination. And if things start to get into that and you've already done it and you've already started to get tight around it and, oh, here we go again and whatever, and and as soon as you realize it, if you can bring yourself back to curiosity, these things come up for a reason and nothing is broken. These are clues to your mystery. How it is that I'm not aligned with the universe. And I did not choose to not be aligned with the universe in regard to my habits and my consciousness and my behavior and all the rest of it. But that's the experience. That's the phenomena of being me right now. And this is a clue to how I'm not aligned. And I probably won't come into that answer by going, okay, what's the answer? But if I can sit like a curious scientist or a curious artist going, hmm, looking at a blank canvas and watching how the paint comes together, you know, an artist that would not be really embracing the artistic spirit would be somebody who knows exactly how the thing's going to be painted and they're not paying attention to the tautness of the canvas or the, the tightness or the, the liquidity of the oils and they're just like, no, this is how I'm going to force this thing. This is how I'm going to paint it. No, an artist feels it and they feel how this is coming together and they feel how it's being expressed and they let it unfold. And if they got too tight at the very beginning and they were just like, oh, I got to do it right. Why is this thing not clear in my head? How come I haven't figured it out yet? I haven't figured out. I haven't visualized the perfect painting. Why is that happening? Then the painting would be terrible and they would never probably even finish it and they'd probably tear up the canvas and storm out of the room, you know. The only way that you can embrace something like painting a portrait, painting a painting, is by letting yourself dwell in uncertainty. But somehow or another, in the context of painting, we know that the only way to paint is to let it unfold. 
So you actually let the fact that you don't have any vision for the answer and the clarity of exactly how it's going to unfold be okay. And then somehow or another it starts to unfold. What's it like if you're a scientist and you're trying to run an experiment but you know exactly how you want the experiment to end and you want to know how all the stages in between are going to come out and you're gonna know all the processes and all the ways that you're gonna to need to react in order to do the experiment perfectly. And you try to envision this from the beginning and you start out doing your experiment and something goes this way and something goes that way and you're just like, no, I want perfect vision. I, I don't understand this, it's not working. And you get all tight around it. Your experiment is gonna be awful. But you, you embrace the uncertainty if you're a scientist. You let it unfold. You keep going, oh, wow, huh, didn't expect that to happen. Okay, well, then hmm, let's try this over here. And you keep embracing the uncertainty rather than feeling like something is broken. If I was a good scientist, I would have been able to foresee how to do this entire experiment. No. An experiment is just a constantly, it's a constant unfolding. And you are an experiment, and you are a constant unfolding. Just like you were when you were a little kid and you've been unfolding since then. And now you can look back at that experiment and you can see the stuff that you got some answers to between age six and now. And you're like, yeah, I think I understand a few things that I didn't understand when I was six. And could you have gone back and given yourself the answers when you were six and been like, okay, here, here's the answers. Don't worry, just, just do this stuff. And then your, your six-year-old, you know, person is reading this stuff and they're just like, you know, getting all tied around it and then starting to cry like, you know, this doesn't look like an answer to me. You couldn't hand yourself the answer until you've lived the answer. And so you can stop the experiment by getting too tight around it and thinking that you have to know. Or you can live yourself into the answers by letting them hang out as curiosities. And there are things that come up in life that are overwhelming, and I'm not saying that they aren't. Like when I was dealing with a family member that had cancer, and it was really traumatic, and I was trying to sit zazen, and, and it was like coming up over and over again. Sometimes I'd give myself a break, and I would like have, have one-pointed focus, and I would go and I would like um, chant something out of the chant book, or I would wish someone well on the planet over and over in different ways, or I would just really anchor myself in my breath with numbers as opposed to just sitting, you know? It's not to say that you never take yourself out of the, the cycle of rumination um, intentionally, but as a context for how we live our lives and practice living, you try to set yourself up in a way that constantly expands the reservoir that you're holding things, that constantly expands your capacity for curiosity, that constantly gives yourself the permission to release your fist as soon as you start getting tight around, I shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have this reaction. I shouldn't be this bothered. Being bothered is okay, but being this bothered is not okay. You ever feel like that? You know, like everyone would be bothered, but I'm up here, you know? Well, guess what? If you knew everybody, you'd know that everybody actually is up here in some sort of way. It's just they have different ways of manifesting it outside. Never compare your insides to other people's outsides. Terrible decision. But what happens with being bothered is that however bothered you are, the sooner you can bring your awareness to your bother, the better chance you have of holding it with curiosity. 
the better chance you can have of being spacious with it and letting it unfold and doing the next thing. Because sometimes if you get really bothered and you're at work or you're in a social setting or you're somewhere where you don't have like, you can't just do whatever you want to do and run away and hide and you have to function, then sometimes you have to do things that are small. And oftentimes when we're trying to solve, like, why am I bothered? That's huge. You might not even come into some awareness of that for some time. But something small is really, really helpful. Have you ever heard the, the, the phrase, do the next right thing? You know, it's just like, it's just like there's all these things to do. It's just like, okay, do, just do the next right thing. Maybe I'll even figure out the context later. But just the next right thing. What, what is it? Can I make one step toward doing the next thing that I have to do and making it like really, really small? I, I've been so bothered before that the next step was pushing the right key on the keyboard. You know, um, maybe just standing up from my desk was the next right thing. You know, I need to actually stretch. If you've ever, um, if you've ever had um, lived in a cold area where um, you wear boots outside, and um, have you ever had this experience? But in the winter time, when I used to have on these boots, sometimes I, I would um, not realize that they got tied up in a little bit of a knot. And then the knot itself, because it was cold outside, would get frozen. And then I would come to the porch, and I'd really want to get my boots off. But then the, the, the knot would be frozen, and my hands would be cold. And I'd just be like, no, this knot is never going to come undone. And I would just like try to pull at it and just try to get, like, is there any sort of movement that I could get in this knot, you know? And it's this feeling of this is never going to come undone, and this thing that's bothering me is never going to have a solution. But I learned that if I could just get one little tiny bit of movement in the knot, everything would feel different somehow. It was just like a molecule of hope would crawl into the knot. I'd be like, maybe this isn't going to be forever. I'm not going to die on the porch with frozen hands. You know, it's just like some sort of like little bit. And sometimes that's all we need is we just need some little step in a direction, like the next right thing, keeping it really, really small. And sometimes it's a series of little small things that get us into a place that where you get some sort of momentum going. But expanding and making things big and starting to solve the big problems of life, and those are the, uh, that's the opposite direction of what you need to do when you are bothered by rumination that brings you over and over again. And it's what we do in Zazen, is we actually learn how to be a person that can concentrate. And you're sitting and you're concentrating, and you're actually building a muscle when you're sitting and you are just being with whatever's coming up. And then you notice your mind running off over here, and then you just quit running off over there. And it's funny, because even if your mind's way over here, if you quit running off over there, all of a sudden you're right back here. You're like, oh, nope, I'm right back here. I don't have to come back here. I just have to quit running off over there. And so sitting is literally expending no energy. You know, I'm not even letting go of things. I'm not even turning toward the present. I just quit chasing stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm right back here. 
And it's learning how to build the concentration muscle just to be what's right here. And sometimes if you're really disturbed, you might really need to anchor yourself in a mantra or your breath or what have you. But these practices grow over time. And it's a context that can expand without even realizing it until one day something happens and you take great joy in walking away from a difficult interaction with another person because deep down inside, you just know that's only going to ruin the next 15 minutes. And that used to ruin my entire day. And it's really weird, but um, some of my happiest moments in, the, in practicing Zen have been in realizing that my half-life of bother has just increased. And that, wow, I am really bothered but I feel like I'm getting less bothered. And maybe in 10 minutes, I'll be able to actually focus again. Hmm, what do you know? And learning to be with your experiment, to let it unfold, and to just have that one step toward something positive like the shoe knot. And then there's our expectations. I try to set the expectation for you about the next year, the next year, that there will be things that bother you in the next year. And realizing that um, this isn't something that you're going to solve, i.e. the human condition, in the next year. But you can learn to hold it differently. And I've given that example many times in here, um, but I love it. And it's the one where, you know, you have a five-pound weight and you go to the gym on your first day of working out, and it really wears you out. Now, five years later, you've been doing a lot of working out, and that five-pound weight really doesn't strain you that much anymore. Now, it's still a five-pound weight, and it still does cause some resistance, and it still, you know, can bother you. But the, the, the context that you hold it in is a very different context than the context you held it in when you first came to the gym. And so these are the things that the emotional reservoir seems to expand around through the practice of Zen, is that the capacity to hold what's going on starts to increase. And the half-life of bother starts to decrease. And the scope to which things bother a person starts to decrease. And it becomes much easier to be a human in this world. And so rumination does happen. And people do get bothered. And people do get really bothered up here. Where they can't think, they can't function, what have you. That happens to human beings. Human beings get disturbed. But if our expectation is that we should never be disturbed or that when we are something is broken, that we're going to set ourselves off on a path that does not allow us to really learn how to unfold around it. So learn to embrace curiosity like an artist, like a scientist. And learn to live the questions that you have today with joy, like they're the answers to mysteries, not like there's the things that you failed to solve. There will be problems. but our capacity to hold them is infinite. There's this little statue of a man, I think it comes from China. 
and they're called Hota statues, I believe, H-O-T-A. And they had their arms up in the air and they're smiling and they have these big bellies. And what the analogy is of the Hota is that they learned how to practice where their emotional reservoir or their capacity to hold bother and suffering increased slowly and slowly and slowly to the point that they could hold all of their suffering. And then they could start to hold the suffering of the people around them and other people's bothers and other people's imperfections until they realized that this could just keep going infinitely and I could hold the suffering of the whole world. And so they have this happy face and the hota has the hands in the air. But it's the direction of practice and learning to be with the thing that feels not so great today. And so just start with the next time your nose itches and go, hmm, I'm curious about that. 